2: Hope you had a great weekend, everybody. The best food possible, depending where you are. You had more freedom than others. For example, you're in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, or Texas. Uh, New York, New Jersey, not so much. Although things are loosening up, the numbers are going in the right direction as we get ready for another Monday in uh, this time, like no other time. Uh, this week, the president will be sitting at a round table today. This is so important about restaurants. How do we open them up safely? And how do we open them up? They got to open. I mean, they have thin margins anyway. The longer they wait, it's going to be impossible to stand them up. You gave them some PPP money. You now loosened up restrictions on how much you spend for employees, how much you spend for rent, how much you spend for lease. Get it. Good. Now, what about restaurants once they open up? What about getting staff back when they're getting more for unemployment? All these things are going to be up in the air. I'm sure the president will hear about that. Now, on uh, Wednesday, the president's going to be with Governor Asa Hutchinson and Kansas Governor-Democrat Laura Kelly. She's been real slow in Kansas. And um, Ron DeSantis a little bit later on in the week. And the president will be heading to Michigan for another pseudo event. Uh, but he's going to be looking at car manufacturing getting started again. And places like the GM uh, plant, GM has made, uh, took their car plant and made them ventilators. Uh, so now they're making ventilators at a dizzying pace. So let's get to the big three
1: now with the stories you need to know it's brian's big three
3: number three this pandemic has fully finally torn back the curtain on the idea that so many of the folks in charge know what they're doing a lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge
4: he was an incompetent president that's all i can say grossly incompetent
2: unbelievable presidential class trump versus obama they go directly at each other again Who is most likely to win this battle and how it will affect 2020? I'll tell
5: you. Number two. Unlike the old days when, you know, we actually didn't have a $30 trillion debt almost, she thinks that she can just author this kind of Christmas tree of whatever anybody wants. It's disappointing. But you know what? The adults here will come in. We'll take over in the Senate. And we'll get something done ultimately.
2: And we'll see because the House passed a $3 trillion budget. You know that. The rescue package signed and delivered. But the Senate will not be picking it up from their outbox, as Republicans claim it's all about the Democratic agenda instead of aid. I agree. Number one.
6: We're going to have to open up the economy. That doesn't mean that we won't do it safely. And we've got to do everything we possibly can to get this economy open. And unlike some of my colleagues, I think the American people can do it.
2: And Listen, no one has to tell Senator John Kennedy about the reality of how challenging it was over in uh, New Orleans, how challenging it was throughout the state of Louisiana. But there's a race to recover. The state-by-state battle to reopen as more and more people rise up against their local governments, in many cases, extreme restrictions as we take the temperature of our economy. And I'll give you an example of extreme you have a situation is so bad in Illinois that people say, wait a second, there's hardly any cases here that is concentrated in the big cities. So now, since people started defying Governor Pritzker's orders, the owners of restaurants, bars, and other establishments in Illinois are beginning to open. So Pritzker, a Democrat, filed an emergency rule on Friday that his office was intended to prevent the spread of, of virus growing, obviously. So they say they now, if you defy his orders... It is a misdemeanor, a class A misdemeanor. So they're going to start arresting restaurateurs and gym owners. Isn't that great? You put these people behind by bars while you let people out from behind bars who actually deserve to be there. So in other areas that I think are concerning, protesters sued officials for Governor Andy Bashar. He's a Democrat for allegedly violating the First Amendment. Uh, also, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is getting a lawsuit from Republicans in the state's House and Senate over her uh, extension of already strict emergency orders. Now, as, as we see, car manufacturers are beginning to stand up. We're seeing Gretchen Whitmer still not, uh, not actually loosening up. And I believe that in the long run, even if the short run, she says her approval ratings are high, I think in Pennsylvania and Michigan. You're beginning to see people saying, wait a second, I might not like some things that President Trump has done, but at least he wants to give me a shot at my business. You know, the story in the Washington Post today say that, you know, basically the President Trump has let everyone lead. Not really. I think by getting out of the way, and uh, President Trump was fully understanding that he doesn't know every town in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Florida, and Texas. So he's letting local government officials who know their people best – decide with a broad outline how to do it. I actually think that's an example of leadership. That's somebody who's extremely secure. That's exactly the opposite way in which he's portrayed. So here's Governor Andy Bashir. He had to take decisive action, he claims, cut five with a court challenge. We
7: saw what happened in Louisiana and what's still happening in New Jersey uh, and other hot spots. We had to take uh, decisive action. Now, weeks, months after that, Uh, some want to challenge it in court, and they can do it for different reasons, that's fine. That's what the courts are there for.
2: So what we're saying is, we saw it happen in New Jersey, we saw it happen in New York, but this is six, eight weeks in. You cannot sustain the current situation. The status quo doesn't work for Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Restrictions are her middle name, cut four.
8: I think the vast majority of people in our state get it, and they're doing the right things. For those who aren't, you know, we take this seriously. This is not a suggestion. These are not thoughts about how you can protect yourself. These, this is the force of law, and we expect people to have followed the law.
2: So you, what she doesn't understand is, there's two things. There's people that are bored to tears, and they should be allowed to go into an open air and jock. They should be allowed to go to the beach uh, and walk. Uh, you look at the mayor of New York. He says, I am going to put a fence up around the beach to make sure you do not go there Memorial Day. Open air setting where it's most likely hot. I think that's actually going to be better for her, uh, for the people in the area. But no, not according to the mayor. Meanwhile, the governor yesterday opens up his press conference in, and you'll see about it uh, a little bit later. I'm sure you got more good news with nothing but good news. They've, they've lifted restrictions in certain areas. There's two that have hit six or the seven criteria, two other counties. And then Long Island's five of seven. So they're on the cusp of opening up. And you have a situation where New York has got positive numbers almost completely around uh, around the bend. I mean, you have. Let me just get to it. His remarks on Sunday. He, you know, the mayor's talking about doom and gloom, and we're not out of this by a long shot. I wish he would somehow talk to the governor, because the governor opens up and says um, we have hospitalizations down, incubations down, people testing positive down. We have a situation where we have so many testing places, we don't even have enough people to go there. So he's doubled and tripled what he said he was going to do, just like he negotiated with the president. So I don't know what what part about better the mayor doesn't understand. And the reason why I bring up that in a national radio show is because, by far, I think this, this is the the city has been most afflicted, the most cosmopolitan, the most visitors here, the most that we depend on mass transit like nobody else. So we have to find a way... To make all these things palatable at the same time, we have to find a way when it comes to mass transit uh, to go use it again. And that's why it spread so quick. MGM Resorts over in Vegas plans to reopen 25 percent of rooms available. That's good. Caesars Palace will deactivate every other slot machine and allow as many as many players back at the blackjack table as long as they keep their space. That to me is groups that are trying to make it work. The other big story over the weekend is the president, uh, the former president of the United States, has a commencement address. He wants to inspire people. He does inspire people. He's speaking to um, historically black colleges, who the president, this current president, has done more to fund than anybody else, provided grants. Uh, and while he's doing that, President uh, President Obama
3: takes a shot at President Trump. Listen to this: totally unnecessary. Cut thirty-six. More than anything, this pandemic has fully, finally torn back the curtain on the idea that. So many of the folks in charge know what they're doing. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. You're going to have to grow up faster than some generations. This pandemic has shaken up the status quo and laid bare a lot of our country's deep-seated problems.
2: So here you have President Trump looking about how his, his uh, Michael Flynn and others were spied on, uh, unmasked, because they would say, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt, they really thought that President Trump had sold out To Russia, All right. That's interesting. You really thought he had sold out to Russia. So you spent the next two years putting up uh, investigative IEDs to blow up all across and end up with the Mueller report. You had James Comey, you had Andy McCabe, you had Peter Strzok uh, and all these others going out of their way to try to find out or try to entrap people in the Obama, uh, the Trump administration. That's what President Trump is saying. So President Trump hears that. And doesn't hear it exactly. And here's what he says about President Obama's critique of him. Cut 40.
1: Former President Obama seems to suggest that you are not even pretending to be in charge. What's your
9: response?
4: Look, he was an incompetent president. That's all I can say. Grossly incompetent. Thank
2: you. So I'm sure he's going to tweet back at him. Remember, President Obama had no problem almost for four or five years ripping President Bush foreign policy. Iraq left me an economic mess. Didn't talk about the war on terror. Oh, you left me Gitmo. I'm going to dismantle Gitmo. He never closed Gitmo. Gitmo is still open today. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. 408 We've got the battle between the presidents, the battle to reopen the country, and so much more to discuss today, including China. Guess who's been asked to speak to kick off the WHO new, uh, new event, their big meeting? The Chinese president. Wouldn't that be nice? So much for deconflicting. as the president decides you know what maybe i won't defund uh i won't defund who or the world health organization when we come back we're going to be joined by michael goodwin uh he is uh no excuse me C- congresswoman kathy mcmorris rogers uh the congresswoman is going to be talking about what just happened to the house there was 16 defectors off that 3.3 trillion dollar proposal to uh be a fifth rescue package in our bloodstream, money we don't have for things we don't need. Back in a moment.
10: It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now, Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path.
1: Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: Time is very important. We have lost time. But again, setting aside how we got here, uh, we cannot take a pause. Hunger doesn't take a pause. People are jobless across Mm -hmm. America. That doesn't take a pause. People don't know how they're going to pay their rent across the country. We We have to address this with humanity.
2: Uh, That is uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi saying we have only one choice but to finance uh, cannabis growth and uh, arts and sciences uh, because we're in an emergency situation, uh, let alone the funding of illegal immigrants and making sure that they get or they call them undocumented immigrants, make sure they get uh, the funds they need. It is an agenda packet. It is not a rescue package. Uh, Joining us now to discuss this is uh, Congresswoman. Kathy McMorris rogers uh, Congresswoman, I really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for being here. Good
0: morning, Brian. Good to be with you.
2: So, what do you think of the? Uh, I get you voted against the package, the the three trillion dollar package. Yes, I did. Uh, but you also there was there was sixteen Democratic defectors. It, this seems so agenda driven.
0: Absolutely, that's all it was. It was a partisan wish list. I thought you said it really well. But you know, it included federal funding for sanctuary cities. It included those economic impact payments for illegal immigrants. It included unrelated matters like environmental justice grants. You know, what does that have to do with coronavirus? And then you saw that it had the tax breaks for millionaires and billionaires. This 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 package is going nowhere. Senator McConnell's made that very clear. And and the speaker from the very beginning, she never she never even talked to us. There was no effort to reach out with the Republicans in the House to really identify what what maybe those priorities are moving forward. As you know, we came together, we passed the CARES Act to provide fast relief in response to the coronavirus and the economic viruses or the economic crisis that was a result of that, uh, fast relief to our small businesses in particular. You know, And all of that money hasn't even been spent yet, and yet she's, she's um, led and the House passed uh, uh, a $3 trillion package. But even some of their most vulnerable members, clearly those that are in the seats that they're afraid they're going to lose come November, they voted against it. They realize this is not what the people want.
2: Uh, let's pivot if we can. Let's talk about China. You see an emergency when it comes to China. I think both sides uh, would. Uh, now you also see when it comes to China, there's got to be a fast track, a fast track to five G and a fast track to AI. How can you legislate that?
0: Well, uh, how we, you know, what I see is that China is a real threat, and that, and yes, and and it clearly, the coronavirus has only exposed that further around the um, the uh, supply chain issues, manufacturing issues that we have faced. We have become vulnerable because of our dependence upon China. But uh, as it relates to emerging technology, we have to be leading 5G, AI. Uh, right now, China is using these emerging technologies to spy on people. And we know what their history is. They lie. They steal. They do, they'll do whatever it takes to get ahead. and. These technologies are our future. So I am leading uh, on the Energy and Commerce Committee. I'm a senior member. uh, And our subcommittee is working on a package of legislation to make sure that America is leading as it relates to emerging technology. We have to win the future. And this is a part of America's competitiveness. So, uh, the way America leads is by defining the rules of the road, respecting human dignity and individual rights in, this, in in technology. China doesn't do that. And they're selling their technology to other totalitarian governments around the world. And China, uh, America needs to be the one that's defining the rules of the road. This is another area where the world needs American leadership. The world looks to the, the United States as the Look. moral authority. And they want to follow but our what could lead, you do?
2: No I, no, I understand that. But what could you do in Washington to help innovators in labs across the country?
0: Well, it's the American way. We we lift the regulatory burden, the barriers for deployment of next-gen tech, like artificial intelligence. We incentivize free market American ingenuity so that we have uh, an era of American innovation. So these, these bills are really around developing strategies to secure our supply chains for technology uh, from the Chinese, and to make sure that we're, we're taking those steps so that uh, America's leading in emerging tech, whether it's uh, 5G and the deployment of 5G, autonomous vehicles. You know, these are, these are areas where America must lead.
2: And let's uh, pivot and let's talk about something else. But if you want to stand up a state, especially New York, they keep talking about tracing. You know, they're doing uh, tracing. And Apple and Google are helping with the tracing. They want to get an app. So if I walk out and if I go to a club like happened in South Korea and I'm with a whole bunch of people and I tested positive, you're able to somehow trace who was in that club. Are you worried about privacy when it comes to that? What are you guarding against?
0: Absolutely. And I have I have said for the last year that Congress needs to pass privacy legislation. We need to pass a a national standard to protect individuals' privacy. Uh, Right now, we have a a patchwork of laws being developed. We've seen where uh, California, California...
8: His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
0: California has passed their own law. Uh, Congress needs to make sure that we are taking action. And one of my hopes is that this will actually bring this issue to the, the top of the list when it comes to issues before uh, Congress this upcoming year. We need, but we need privacy legislation that's going to um, ensure that transparency and accountability from the companies. That's going to uh, include enforcement mechanisms, but also protect our small businesses. One of my biggest concerns is that the you know the dominance of big tech and they're just uh, squeezing out the the new entrants, the 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 small businesses, the the new innovations don't that, have a shot. Uh, yep. They don't have a gotcha. shot.
2: Gotcha. Congressman uh, McMorris, uh, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank. I appreciate being there. Uh, best of luck uh, negotiating all this. Uh, Congresswoman Kathy McMorris great Rogers, great you. job. All right. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Marty McCarry. We're going to find out what the latest is on this innovation, the medical breakthroughs, and the vaccines that have a lot of people feeling optimistic about turning the corner this year. Uh, and then we'll take your calls. 1 408 7669
10: fox nation presents podcasts women of the bible speak
7: i'm shannon bream host of fox news at night and author of the new book women of the bible speak the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today subscribe now on apple podcasts spotify foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download your podcasts
1: the fastest three hours in radio you're with brian kilmeade
8: It is so unseemly for a former president to take the the virtual commencement ceremony for a series of uh, historically black colleges and universities and turn it into a political drive by shooting. He says, quote, the pandemic has finally fully torn back the curtain that so many of the folks in charge don't know what they're doing. Lots of them aren't even pretending to be in, in charge. And we're getting lectured by a guy whose administration depleted the national strategic stockpile of N95 masks after for a previous smaller pandemic and didn't replenish it. And he's sitting here lecturing the current president by just in a blanket condemnation of everybody who's been involved in this.
2: And that is called Rove this morning on Fox and Friends. So If you said you haven't heard that before, you might have missed the show. And what we have now is president versus president, which shouldn't be alarming because President Bush, uh, after his eight years in office, has almost said nothing about President Obama, period. Uh, President Obama was relentless criticizing President Bush, and when the midterm elections, President Obama act like he was on the ballot in every House and Senate race. He was so aggressive. And look, he's a good campaigner, but probably effective, right? He was also trying to be effective for Hillary Clinton, but she was a lost cause. And Hillary Clinton was critical of him for not cracking down on the Russians in September. Nobody ever owns up that Donald Trump won. In fact, as soon as he won, now we know some more and more details about what was going on in terms of one administration uh, investigating another administration. So now we see President Obama going out of his way at a virtual commencement address uh, to go after uh, President Trump, who, of course, I'm sure at some point today... Well, absolutely unload, even though he's got his meet meetings with restaurateurs and he's got a, a pretty big agenda uh, going forward. Remember, you have Donald Trump in the past that he is going at after uh, to defend Mike Flynn. And here's why he's defending Michael Flynn, because Michael Flynn really hasn't been defended for the last three years because he pled he pled to guilty. Uh, he said didn't say he purge himself, he cut a deal. Many people feel it's because they're gonna come after his son for other things unrelated to anything to do with Donald. Trump's election, he said, all right, I'm going to cut a deal, get this done with, I'll cooperate. Now we know he doesn't know anything, so I'll cooperate and get this done. Here we are three years later, and he can't get on with his life. He had to sell his house. He has between 2 and $4 million worth of debt. He had to fire his attorneys, hire new ones, and now he's got to continue to retain that attorney because now he's got to wait for this to go in court. For Donald Trump, he just thinks that this all started because President Obama wanted to hamstring him. Cut 41.
4: This was all Obama. This was all Biden, these people were corrupt. If I were a Democrat instead of a Republican, uh, I think everybody would have been in jail a long time ago. It is a disgrace what's happened. And hopefully a lot of people are going to have to pay.
2: We'll see. Back to the pandemic and where we're heading. Numbers going down across the country. We know basically all the numbers in terms of uh, those with the virus those hospitalized with the virus, and those, sadly, who lost their lives from the virus, we know it's really in 60% of the country. So that's why I have North and South Dakota that feel empowered, ready to go. That's why in, in rural sections of California, they are just beside themselves and waiting. Now, when you have your the, the Health and Human Services Secretary, Alex Azar, come out and say this, it makes you think that we can do this. After all, he is the one should be reining us in. Cut to.
8: Is the U.S. reopening in a way that won't bring back a spike in new cases thanks to the president's historic response efforts here we are in a position to be able to reopen
9: we are seeing that in areas that are opening uh, we're not seeing this spike in cases
2: not seeing it in georgia seeing a slight spike in texas but people tell me that this is amarillo and that's where the meatpacking plants is they seem to have huge problems in the meatpacking areas and that's something that's got to be addressed in colorado he was out on a limb just like Brian Kemp over in Georgia, but he got a total pass, but he did get invited to the White House. Uh, he was talking about what they really want to do. He's trying to get normalcy back. He understands Denver is harder than the rest of the uh, state. And here's what he said about the fall. He's talking like we're talking, finding a way to get schools open. Cut ten.
8: I'm really confident that uh, it's a critical part of our society and schools need to function. They are going to function. It's also going to be somewhat of a hybrid environment, meaning there might be times during the year if there's an outbreak at a school that it has to convert to online for a period of weeks uh, until it's reasonably safe to return to school. But by and large, I think across our state and across our nation, kids are going to be able to return to school in the fall. It's just not going to look like any other school year.
2: So uh, that's fine. You know what that means? That means making a real effort because they understand kids need normalcy. You don't want to put the teachers in jeopardy, obviously. You don't want to put staff or custodians in jeopardy, obviously. But are there ways in which they all can do their jobs that makes the whole place safer? How do you act if you find out that one kid is positive or a carrier? When they take their forehead temperature, really going to make things better. Let's work on that. That's saying, I got five months to get it done. I'm going to take the summer off. I actually think they should be working out ways to get camps going. And I think they are. You know, the campers got to stay. They can't go home in the middle. Maybe the counselors have to stay there, too. The New York Times says they they have reached a conclusion. uh, The reports of new cases have declined nationally and deaths have slowed. So you have news coming out that things are slowing down. You have governors like the one in Colorado, the one in Florida, the one in South Carolina, and others who are finding a way to keep things open. And I actually think New Jersey is really battling to get things open again. I think fundamentally, Congressman Murphy, even though he's a liberal Democrat, is a business person. And he sees these businesses. He probably knows the small businesses, the restaurants. They're probably friends with his kids. And they're saying, you know, by the way, every day that goes by, it becomes more and more uh, unlikely that I could actually keep my business. And time matters. Weeks matter. And Landlords matter. They need to get paid. If they don't get paid, they're not bad people. They need relief from the banks. Are the banks giving them relief? Just looking across and seeing how it's going so far. In Texas, and talk about a big jump, Texas reported 1,801 new COVID cases on Saturday, the biggest single day jump in cases Since the pandemic began, a growing outbreak in the panhandle a big reason for those surging cases. More than 700 of those new cases were reported from Amarillo. As I mentioned, Greg Abbott warning those numbers will continue to climb as the state continues to test. So think about this. If you don't have much testing, you could honestly say you don't have many cases. But as testing increases, you're able to find out more positive cases. It looks like things are going up. What you're really doing is unmasking the secret enemy. When we come back. We're going to visit with the doctor and find out where we're at now in terms of a vaccine, in terms of a remedy, uh, in terms with a, a, a pathway out as we continue this uh, pathway out of the pandemic, which is everybody's goal. Brian Kilmeade, back in a minute.
10: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to (sighs) FoxNewsPodcasts.com.
1: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: What the f*** going on? When did this become flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve to we have to find a cure or everyone's going to
11: die?
2: Find a cure? Who says we're going to find a cure? People have been mentally preparing. We're doing what you ask. We've done exactly what you said. Now you're changing the rules. Dave Bordnoy, uh, founder of Barstool, who talked about you know killing himself to work 20 hours a day. Uh, for 10 years until he finally made it. He's in year 17. He said, my whole business would have collapsed if this was before my 10-year mark. And I'm just sitting here watching it. And he, like so many people uh, outside the medical profession, uh, are unbelievably frustrated by that exact line. Flatten the curve, flatten the curve. All the numbers are going down, but just not fast enough. Therefore, we're now in a situation where, in my situation in particular, New York, the epicenter, the numbers are going down precipitously, but just not to the criteria that the governor made up. So five portion, five counties in New York get to have phase one. The rest sit and wait. Uh, Dr. Marty Makari is with us now, Fox News contributor, professor of health and policy at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. Uh, Dr. Makari, thanks so much. Uh, How are we doing as a nation fighting this pandemic at this point?
12: You know, we're doing pretty good, Brian. You know, coming into this thing, it was a big unknown, and we really did not know exactly what we were working with. So look, we asked people to do extreme measures. We as a public health community said that these they would be temporary, and you know what? We saved a lot of lives, thousands or maybe millions because of it. And you know, thank you everybody out there. We asked for major sacrifices, people delivered. Now we know more information. Now we have data on how it spreads, who gets it, how we protect ourselves. And that is information we have to use to evolve our strategy. We cannot stick in these entrenched positions of lockdown or complete reopen. We've got to really get going and we've got to do it carefully. And we can do that in a medically sound way.
2: Okay. I I believe it. And I believe there should be more than one way to do it. I mean, how can you actually characterize a state as looking like New York City when you have Upstate New York look like Iowa. How could you call Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, when you drive around Pennsylvania and see nothing but farms? And it's a one-size-fits-all attitude that's driving people crazy. Here's Jason Riley, uh, Fox News contributor. Cut I 12. don't
9: think uh, the places in the country where the virus has hit hardest should be determining uh, when the rest of the country opens up. Uh, this is something that's going to be determined locally. I think it's best that it's a decentralized process. And I also think that, you know, people are going to feel more comfortable or less comfortable given where they live in the country. And in some places, not until there's a a vaccine or at least an antiviral drug available, are people going to be comfortable going back to work or sending their kids back to school or resuming their economic activities. But that should be done on a state and city and local
12: level.
2: Do you agree with that?
12: Yeah, I do. Look, we cannot use a one-size-fits-all approach. Not all reopenings are created equal. And we tend in society, not just in healthcare but let's be honest, society is kind of divided in how they live their lives and in where they live, right? So if you live in downtown New York and you go to SoulCycle, that's a different life than if you live where I grew up in central Pennsylvania in farm country. And so we can't use the same approach. And It's easy for somebody sitting in a mansion who owns a business with lots of cash reserves saying, you know what, we should just all hunker down and stay at home than somebody who lives paycheck to paycheck. And guess what? Eighty percent of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. I'm not saying people have to die in order for our economy to get back uh, up and running. No, I'm saying if we really take a scientific public health approach, we will counterbalance The slight increase in deaths with the increase in deaths of a lockdown, which are real, right? Deferred chemotherapy, domestic violence, kids not getting proper nutrition from school, all kinds of things that when you tally it up, it turns out that the clear scientific decision is open up, but do it wisely. Do it with distancing and hygiene and with safe practices and customize it to the area.
2: Right. I mean, think, instead of just sitting in the economy and getting back to prosperity, you point out in your column that the United Nations World Food Program reported that 250 million people are starving to death because of the economic impact of COVID-19. And all I need is a television to see the long food lines that are happening around our country and amongst the people in lines are the first time they've ever been out of a job uh, in their lives. So there is, a, there is a health penalty to pay for sheltering in place. And when I see what's happening in Michigan and uh, Pennsylvania and, to a degree, California and New York, I think there's a detachment from that. They think they're doing the mature thing. But I think we need the doctors to play a role with the politicians. Um, And if you guys say that, they'll understand where you're coming from as opposed to a reporter.
12: Well, that's why I wrote that piece today in The New York Times, Brian, is I'm concerned that we as a medical profession are going to lose credibility and damage the great public trust we have with society if we say things like uh, we've got to hold off on reopening until they're secure. Now, most medical professionals are not saying that. Most of them are reasonable. But when you have a politician, you know, stretch what we are recommending and misinterpreting it or people just get entrenched in their positions and somehow when did this thing get politicized, Right. How did it become like a talking point on, you know, it's one side of the aisle that we're going to have to stay, sh- you know, sheltered in place until there's a vaccine? I mean, that's where we've gone awry. And I'm worried about the credibility right now of the medical profession.
2: So I'm seeing um, the president of the United States spoke to Maria about a vaccine and they're going to have an announcement and they're going to speak more about that at the end of this week. Uh, here's what he said. Tell me if you think he's right.
4: I think we're going to have a vaccine by the end of the year. We're doing very well with the vaccine. We're mobilizing our military on the basis that we do have a vaccine. You know, it's a massive job to give this vaccine. Our military is now being mobilized. So at the end of the year, we're going to be able to give it to a lot of people very, very rapidly. We'll focus on elderly. We're going to focus on nursing home and, and, you know, senior citizen centers. Because that's really, if you look at it, that is so, that is a very vulnerable group. It's a terrible thing. But, uh, so we're gonna be focused on that.
12: Um, Well, the president- What do you think? He's 100% correct. Not only are we going to have a vaccine by the end of the year, but we already have a vaccine, Brian. We already have a vaccine that works in rhesus monkeys, which is the closest animal model to human beings. And it is effective it's it has activity against the virus it's triggered the immune system and in these rhesus monkeys in the colorado experiment by the oxford company's vaccine they found that the monkeys who got the vaccine and then were exposed to the infection did not get the illness as the monkeys who did not get the vaccine got the illness that was a major breakthrough that was about three weeks ago it didn't get a lot of attention that company is now in phase two trials so we've got a vaccine. It looks like it works. And it's a matter of just going through the phase two and three trials and the mass production. So uh, we will. And he talked to Scott Ghalib, high respect on this. He thinks we could have up to millions of doses out there by the end of this year.
2: Fantastic. Now let's talk about remdesivir. First, Anthony Fauci is thinking positively about it. And then he was kind of uh, half in, half out. When he was testifying Tuesday, what do you think? What, when would you give it to somebody, if at all?
12: So, if somebody is very sick with a severe illness in the hospital, especially if they're having trouble breathing, they should get remdesivir. And remdesivir has been shown to improve outcomes, reduce the duration of the severe illness, and it approaches a reduction in death mortality, but they Had to basically stop the study because it was so promising. They didn't wait to see people die just to prove it. So it's become the new standard of care. It's just a matter of production. Look, Brian, it's one tool in the toolbox. We've got a bunch now. Okay, we've got that. We've got um, plasma treatments. We've got better behaviors, right? We've got the best treatment in the world soap and water. We've got distancing. We're learning about masks and their benefit when you cannot maintain that social distance in areas where there's still a viral burden and um, you know we've got we have this coronavirus for a third of our cold season we're going to be going into the fall with a full cold season and influenza that's not a fate we have to accept we can take steps and this is our time to go into gear redesign some of our processes prepare for the worst and hope for the best and i think you know it's doable if you look at china Wuhan and Habin each have 10 million people. The country is over a billion. How did they relatively manage the the virus outside of those provinces of the big outbreaks? They'll tell you, distancing and masks. So it is possible, and I think as the vaccine gets put into the toolbox in the fall, we're going to see more community immunity. And this fall, it may be a big nothing, but if it ends up being something like the flu season or potentially worse and that is yeah. a possibility um, we will have more tools building in that toolbox so that that will be the last season or wave of it
2: Alright, Dr. Marty McCary, I hope you're right uh, appreciate all your insight and in moving the ball forward and hopefully people understand that we have to open up or no one's going to be healthy This is the Brian Kilman Show, thanks Doc Thank you
10: the fox news Podcasts network download and listen to the one with craig gutfeld the co-host of the five like you've never heard him before you know him you love him you want to be like him subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com
1: live from the fox news radio studios in new york city fresh off the set of fox and friends it's america's receptive voice brian kilmeade
2: Hi, everybody. hope you had a great weekend or as good as possible. Or as much as your governor would let you do, uh, if you're in New York, uh, Long Island, you probably went to the beach. You could play tennis, but you could not play. Uh, soccer, any type of team sport called playing softball, you might get a ticket. You can have a catch. It's got to be a certain amount of distance. Uh, and we got a, a crazy mayor here. We come to you from New York, and I know we're a national show. But when you have the epicenter of the virus that's plagued, the literally plagued 186 countries and more people have suffered more than any than any place else in New York City, because people come from all around in the mass transit and everything that goes involved in that. And we have a mayor here who's not talking to the governor. And therefore, we have a situation where the governor's message is a lot different from the mayor's message. And in this case, I like the governor's message this hour. uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by Michael Goodwin. And then uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick of Texas. Texas got a bit of a hot spot now. I get it. But you know what the lieutenant governor is also going to be talking about? Starting sports again. Kids playing sports again. It's really screwing them up not to be doing it, let alone the recruiting and the college. And what about the kids to get them out and be with their friends again? Since it's so unlikely that they'd ever be susceptible. And it's very unlikely that they'd be a carrier passing on to an adult. That's going to be the message a little bit later. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
3: This pandemic has fully finally torn back the curtain on the idea that so many of the folks in charge know what they're doing. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge.
4: He was an incompetent president. That's all I can
2: say. Grossly incompetent. (laughs) President, by the way, President Obama's message was at a virtual commencement address. Hey, thanks for that. Can someone talk about me? Haven't I been through enough? Now you're starting your petty political arguments during my commencement address, which is not real anyway. Presidential clash. Trump and Obama go directly at each other. Who is most likely to win this battle? I'll weigh in. Number two.
5: Unlike the old days when, you know, we actually didn't have a $30 trillion debt almost, she thinks that she can just author this kind of Christmas tree of whatever anybody wants. It's disappointing. But you know what? The adults here will come in. We'll take over in the Senate. And we'll get something done ultimately.
2: Adam Kinzinger making some sense over in Illinois. The rescue package signed and delivered. But the Senate will not be picking it up out of their outbox. As Republicans claim, it's all about the Democratic agenda instead of aid. Number one
6: we're gonna have to open up
2: the economy.
6: That doesn't mean that we won't do it safely. And we've gotta do everything we possibly can to get this economy open. And unlike some of my colleagues, I think the American people can do it.
2: I do, too. Uh, I think we have to. There is no alternative. The race to recover. The state-by-state battle to reopen. More and more people rise up against their local governments. Extreme restrictions as we take the temperature of our economy. Pun intended. Michael Goodwin joins us. New York Post, esteemed columnist, Fox News uh, contributor. Michael, welcome back.
13: Good morning, Brian. Thank you.
2: Hey, Michael, first off, some good news. Uh, The governor speaking yesterday. Let's listen. Let's look at the facts today. Total hospitalization is down. Good
12: news. Net change is down. Intubations is down. And new COVID hospitalizations are down. So it's a good day across the plate. Again, we're right about where we were when we started. We just want to
13: make sure we
2: never go back to where we were. Right. But while he's speaking, the mayor is saying, I'm going to put up fences. By the way, I thought walls didn't work. I'm going to put up fences to keep you from the beach. Um, If I catch you outside a bar with the drinks you're allowed to buy, if I catch you loitering there, you're going to get in big trouble. So one is taking his time. And the other, it couldn't be more restrictive as he's not getting these numbers. For people outside New York, Michael, how do you characterize what the city is like right now?
13: Um, you know, it's it, it's a ghost town uh, on the surface, but I think underneath it, Brian, there is this real hunger. There's, of course, also a lot of fear, but but it's the same hunger we see across the country. People want to get back to normal. They want to do things that they've been doing for all their lives and go places, get out of their apartments and yes. begin to begin to see friends again, begin to see family. I mean, I, you know the, the the mayor is is, is foolish in this thing that we're going to we're going to stop stop you from swimming in the ocean we're going to put fences yes up. I, I mean he, he's acting like King Canute here you know we can roll back the tide I mean the, the, it just defies common sense people can social distance in open places the idea I, I mean I think that they keep trying to confine people and people should not want to be confined we all want to be free and so i think these ideas are all to me de blasio is just looking for headlines this is his only thing in life now is to get a headline so whether it's attacking president trump uh, saying outrageous things about uh, the president stabbing New York in the back and all that—it's all just to get a headline because he's largely irrelevant. And there's nothing a politician hates more when there's when there's headlines to be had than to be irrelevant. And so he says these things that bear no relation to reality. Is the city really going to send out crews to pound uh, uh, wooden fence stakes? Or metal stakes into yes. the beaches? I mean, it, it, it can't happen. It, it's foolish. It, it, it's ridiculous. It's unnecessary. And it'll make him look even dumber. So I suspect he'll at least be smart enough not to do
2: it. Uh, by the way, the, the market's going through the roof. They must have liked what the uh, with the Fed chair said yesterday on 60 Minutes. So i will take it. We're over 000, uh five fifty at the moment. So, Michael, Listen, I think uh, Governor Cuomo at this time, very good communicator, right? Very conversational. What he does with his stats in his speeches on a daily basis. As someone who kind of does this a little bit, and you're a great communicator too, I can appreciate what he does. I really can. There's some very smart people who just can't communicate. Uh, he's a very good communicator, but he is getting a total pass on his record. The, what he demanded in ventilators wasn't close to the need. What he demanded of the Javits Center wasn't even needed. It cost us hundreds of millions of dollars. What he demanded from the USNS Comfort barely even touched it. It cost us millions of dollars. And he is getting a total pass on the decision to put coronavirus-positive patients back into nursing homes. Over 2,600 lost their lives, and you write about that.
13: Well, uh, it's more than two thousand six hundred. It's it's closer to fifty five hundred now. Five thousand five hundred in the state. And My bad. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's a it's a horrific uh, total, Brian. And if you talk to the nursing home owners and the families, uh, I mean the the pain that went with every death is is just unbearable. Because r- recall again, and I think it's worth repeating that. The nursing homes under the state uh, barred visitors in in March, right? No visitors could come in to see their, their loved ones lest they infect the premises. Now, that makes a perfect amount of sense at the time. But why then would you at the same time send people you know are infected into those same facilities? I mean, it it boggles the mind when you think of it strictly in those terms. No families because we don't want to bring in the disease. Okay, over here we're going to bring in the disease. We're going to knowingly bring in the disease. And we're not, oh, by the way, we're not, We're forcing you to take these patients. We're not giving you any time to to prepare segregated areas. We're not going to ask you whether you can handle it. You must, or we might take your license. I mean, this is an extraordinary thing. And you say the the governor gets away with a lot. I agree with you. he is a good communicator he's been out there he's out front he's could have you know the man in charge which which people like in a crisis uh but it's in, what does he do with that power what How has he Absolutely. used this incredible, almost absolute power in New York because the legislature said basically, do whatever you want." will suspend, you know, the legislative powers, you go ahead, you take the lead, you do what you want with the budget, you do what you want with uh, shutdown orders, all of that stuff. So Cuomo has run with that power, but then, of course, with that power comes responsibility. And I would argue that he has failed, as you say, on the dollars and cents issues. He he overplayed, you know, the, the, the drama. Uh, but... The nursing home issue is directly connected to that because a lot of what he was reacting to was this prediction that New York would need about three, three times as many hospital beds as it actually has. So he did yep. a number of things to try to increase hospital beds. The comfort was part of that, the ship. The Javits was, it was a big part of that. Uh, increasing capacity within hospitals was a big part of that, but emptying the beds of patients who were recovering. They were no longer acute. It's called subacute. And so, therefore, they could be discharged from the hospital. But where to put them? And it was his decision to put them in nursing homes, whether they had been okay, there so Michael, before or not. That yeah. was the great
2: mistake. And he did it. He did it himself. No one else did it. But, he did it. But, Michael, uh, but if, stop me if I'm wrong here, but I believe he at first said it wasn't his decision. They're private facilities. Then he says, you know, um, you know, we don't even know. Then he said he didn't know about it. And now it looks like it was him. And you, you talk about a March decision that he made, and then bring this in. Now when there's, a look, there's calls for an independent investigation, he calls out, oh, you're just playing politics. Can you right. imagine that? Yeah. Now, one yeah. investigation on him, Trump gets three a day. So <laughs> one of it oh, you guys are just playing politics. Welcome to the real world. Welcome to the heavyweights, because that's what happens. When you yeah. make big decisions like that, you can't, you can't say, I don't know, when you're in absolute power. And that's your point. You know,
13: Brian, um, across the country, uh, I mean, New York is the most dramatic in terms of the numbers of deaths in nursing homes and, and similar facilities. But there, ha- this is also a national phenomenon. Some states, as much as 80 percent of the deaths... Uh, were in nursing homes, Um, uh, Minnesota and West Virginia, for example. Uh, The New York Times counted at least 14 states where more than half the deaths were in nursing homes. And then you get, if you get into the granular of counties, somebody sent me an email that one upstate county, almost all the deaths were in nursing homes. So I think this is a national issue, I think it's a national disgrace. Uh, uh, We we have treated the elderly uh, as disposable people in this crisis. And I think there does need to be a national investigation of this with a focus on New York and New Jersey because they had the highest death totals. New York and New Jersey together have now coming up on 11,000 dead in nursing homes. 11,000 dead. And you know, Brian, if you did across the country, these large percentages in nursing homes, if you, if you just imagine for a second that we had prevented all or most of that, we had prevented even, let's say, 90% of those deaths, which I think probably was possible. We would have a very different crisis now. We would be looking at the coronavirus outbreak as something not nearly as horrific as it has been, because when we, knew. we knew from early on in, in Italy, in in, in uh, South Korea, that It was the elderly, particularly those with underlying issues, who were the most vulnerable. And yet we treated those people as though they were invulnerable. And Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, did it exactly opposite from New York and New Jersey. He prevented those COVID-positive patients from going into nursing homes and even now, if, if somebody in a nursing home gets sick with the virus, they send them to a hospital. They do not keep them in, in a nursing home. So that is clearly the right way to did it, do it. They exactly. had a much different result. They lost on average a little over one uh, patient per nursing home to the virus. Whereas in New York, it's, you know, it's hundreds in, in many cases. Yeah. So something was is wrong true. here. Yeah.
2: Some- Absolutely. And now uh, the big thing is loneliness. Now they're so boxed out. They don't get the chance to see any of their grandchildren, any of their siblings, any of their relatives. So you wonder what their life is like as we try to keep them alive. Now they're in uh, solitary confinement, only with nicer areas. So I I feel bad, but I'd rather have that and have them be alive than the current situation. But thank you very much, Michael. I'm up against a break here, but great column. And somebody has to soberly look at New York because everyone wants to pat the governor on the back. And maybe he does in some cases. But, man, it has been a disaster with the seniors. Thanks so much. Uh, he is Michael Goodwin. We come back. Your turn. one 408
1: Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Living the
10: Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Welcome back, everyone. one 408 I hope you had the most successful weekend possible. I get calls from people. They don't even know it's a pandemic. They're like, yeah, I went to a restaurant. Why do you ask? And other people were with me. It's like, have you left the house? Uh, there's nowhere to go. You go to a restaurant. I actually, a few times, I wanted to grill, and I feel so bad for these restaurants because this is going for eight, nine weeks that I've ordered out. Um, I, because I don't want to see all these men and women go out of business. I mean, are you guys doing the same thing? If you're in New York, you're in Massachusetts, you're in New Jersey, uh, if you're in Rhode Island, I mean, there is no, there doesn't seem to be any reasonable light at the end of the tunnel. Frank, you listen to WRCN in Long Island. Hey, Frank.
8: Hi, good morning, Brian.
9: Um, just to the point that was before the break, uh, there's another factor that's not being uh, taken into effect with these li- assisted living and nursing homes. I had a close family friend, his mother was in an assisted living, Um, Older gentleman in his uh, early 60s, the mother passed away. Him and his three siblings went in to see the body uh, prior to the lockdown. Um, She was in decent health, not something to cause a test. They all went in the room. All the siblings uh, got COVID. On Easter Sunday, he passed away, unfortunately, from it. Um, and then the other factor that we're dealing with here on Long Island is the hospital that he went to, his wife still doesn't have the body. He, she was told that he was going to be cremated, doesn't have the ashes, can't, can't get in touch with anybody at the hospital to get the body.
2: Unbelievable. How, how does that happen? I mean, you saw what's going on in Queens, New York, right? In Queens, they have refrigerated trucks full of bodies. I mean, this is insane. You wouldn't expect this in New York where they're used to high-volume everything. Frank, sorry to hear that. Jerry on WHIO. Hey, Jerry, in Dayton, Ohio.
1: Hey, Brian, uh, I know this is a little off-topic, but I couldn't help calling in. Uh, All the stuff that's going on with the Constitution being broken uh, all the time, I I thought about Fox uh, Nation and how cool it would be if there was like a kids section where we could take things like your books and turn them into small cartoons so we could start teaching kids at an early age, 5 to 12 years old. Also, I I thought about like a superhero context with Pete Hegseth in mind, honestly, like Captain, uh, Captain Constitution or something, just something, especially during this pandemic, with the lockdown and a lot of homeschooling going on, I thought that would be a real cool thing for kids.
2: I'm going to bring that up. That, hey, that is a great idea. You're 100% right. We're looking to grow Fox Nation while still having a hard time getting new programming because we can't go shoot anything and we, we can't go with crews. So I would love that idea, and they got some great minds over there. Thank you so much. one 408 7669
1: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: The only thing that's gonna get us out of this is the American people and the American private sector. We're gonna have to open up the economy. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't do it safely. It's no longer a debate between safe or soon. It's now safe and soon. We've gotta do everything we possibly can to keep people safe, And we've got to do everything we possibly can to get this economy open safely. And unlike some of my colleagues, I think the American people
2: can do it. I do. Uh, I 100 percent agree. Sheltering in place is not an option. I didn't feel it was an option when it first happened, but I'm brand new to the virus thing, brand new to the pandemic world. But I was willing to say I don't know. But now that I sit there and I can talk to these experts because I have this incredible job that gives me access, I know for sure between the economists and doctors, it's time for the economists to take the lead while doctors coach us, uh, coach us to victory, which is a perfect, uh, it's a perfect segue to my next guest. is Lieutenant Governor of Texas, uh, Dan Patrick. Uh, Governor, welcome back.
9: Hey, Brian, good to be with you. Uh, you know, uh, as you and I text back and forth that really the last big event that I participated in was with you uh, back on about March 5th in Houston on your book. Uh, great book, by the way, great read uh, during the quarantine. And that was the last big event. And little did we know that literally less than a week later, the lockdowns would begin.
2: Yeah, and for you to give me that flag that flew over the Alamo was so, so, it was so fantastic and, evident, and the, the proclamation and everything like that, let alone you carrying the show, On your station, uh, KSEV on 700, AM 700, it's just been so huge for us and I can't thank you enough. You're a broadcaster by trade. I love when people uh, toss to you and you're such a pro. They think you're just a a typical well-read politician, but you're such a pro as a broadcaster too. You're able to answer the question, get right to the point. And I wanted you on anyway to tell us about opening up Texas. But the column you wrote yes. about opening up youth sports is also my passion. But let's start with Texas. Uh, we've opened up the gates a little bit. We understand uh, there's um, another. You're marking another moment where you are uh, allowing gyms to open up this week. Where well? Is? That was
9: actually announced in our Brian. That was actually announced in our last press conference that today, the 18th, would be the day that they could begin. As well as office buildings opening up 25% of their capacity of their office staff. And of course, as you and I both know, uh, I think a lot of businesses uh, are going to realize they can cut down on their office space in the future on their next lease by letting a lot of people work from home. And a lot of people are going to ask to work from home. They found out that uh, they can be more efficient and it works. But uh, so the hotel, the, not the hotels, the office buildings and the uh, gyms open up today. But we have a press conference at 2 p.m. Central Time. And I can't give away what we're going to announce, but, um, you know, we, we continue to, uh, you know, feel like Texas is leading the way.
2: So you have uh, the number of confirmed cases, uh, 47,784. So you're coming up on 48,000. Deaths, 1,336. Now, people are pointing out to Saturday's numbers that showed an increase in the number of cases. But po- po- people like you point to the 700 that are happening at the meat packing plant in, in and around Amarillo. What could you tell us about that?
9: Yeah, and, and Brian, this is really interesting and, and, and you don't get it wrong and Fox doesn't get it wrong, but almost everyone else seems to get it wrong, including local media. And I think the national media, they get it wrong on purpose. Local media just doesn't, uh, I think, understand it yet in all cases, but they want us to test more, us being Texas and the United States more testing, more testing. Well, the more testing you do, the more positive cases you're going to have because you're revealing the people who have it that you wouldn't know otherwise unless you tested them. And so of course the positive cases go up and I see the local newscast, national newscast every day with this headline that I think frightens people. And the truth is that you have to look at the positivity rate, what percentage is it going up? And in Texas, we've remained flat to lower. Uh, and you're going to have these days, uh, Brian, where you have a peak and then a drop. For example, we had 58, which was the highest die on Thursday, and 56 on Friday. Then we dropped back down to uh, 33 and 31, I believe, was the total on Saturday and Sunday. And we had a high of 1,800 cases on Saturday and down to 700 cases on Sunday. So for us in a policy position and a, and a, and a safety and health care position, we have to look at the averages, and we have to go back and compare them. And I don't see the national media outside of Fox doing this, and I don't see local media doing it. And it's really giving a, a, a false message to the public. You know, we're, we're not going, Brian, we're not going to eradicate this virus by staying locked down. And going out, that doesn't mean we, we, have, we, have, we have also resolved it. Uh, what we have to do is get the economy moving, get people back to work, get people out to normalcy in a safe way. Um, we can do that. Uh, you know, I said early on on an interview on Fox uh, early, late March, and I got criticized for it, that we can do two things at once. And I think we just – the doctors had us locked down too tight, too fast, and, uh, and I think we can do both things. So we, we need to get back working. Uh, Get the economy rolling, and we need to do it safely. And I trust the American people to do that and the American business community to do that.
2: Lieutenant Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, our guest. Uh, Dan, I think a lot of it is lazy it's easy to sit in the governor's yeah. mansion and say, this is everything's locked down. But then it's hard yeah. to get out and drive through these towns and talk to your mayors and see the main street, right. especially a, size, a, a state like Texas. Texas is bigger than most countries. And just, guys, hey, yeah. let me just get an idea of what you need. Hey, can you open up that car? We're sure. Hey, guys, I wouldn't vacuum out the, you know, let's not do interior. Let's just do exterior for a week. Let me know how that goes. Next, can I open up the sporting goods store? Can I open up the bait shop? Absolutely. What about the boating? Hey, this is the docks might be a little bit cumbersome, a little bit of a challenge. Well, what can we do? Let's put arrows on the ground. Okay, fine. You know what that takes? Work. 20-hour days in order to keep the economy going, keep people's psyche and uh, wallet somewhat filled. At the same time, being careful. Have a scientist on your speed dial, have all these uh, these systems experts in and around you, and that takes work. But to sit there, what we're seeing in the mayor of New York, just say it's too dangerous. If you go to the beach, I'm putting up a fence to stop you from going to the beach. Are you kidding me? Go to the beaches. Talk to your scientists. Being in the open air is better than sitting in a crowded city or a small apartment. But I digress. I want you to hear the president. It picked up your topic yesterday when he called into the Golf Channel and listen to what he said. Uh, the net, uh, the, the place sports has in our comeback. Cut one
4: we want to get sports back we miss sports we need sports in terms of uh, the psyche the psyche of the of our country and that's what we're doing so start off with small crowds if any but look we want to get it back to where it was we want big big stadiums loaded with people we don't want to have uh, 15,000 people watching alabama lsu as an example and we want to have when you have the masters we want to have big crowds uh, now, right now, that's not what they're planning, but you never know what happens. Things can happen very quickly.
2: So, Lieutenant Governor, you take the, a second yeah. to a second level. I want you want kids playing again. You want to see youth sports back, too.
9: Yes. Uh, I. You know, and, and the editorial that was in the Dallas Morning News last week, and people can read it at danpatrick.org, or I'm sure you're probably posting it uh, as well. You know, what, what occurred to me, and I was a sportscaster for a long time when I was on television, and, uh, you know, you, you just realize what an integral part of a game the fans are. And I just don't buy into that the NFL League or, or Major League Baseball or NBA has to play to empty arenas and stadiums. And we opened up uh, churches. Well, we never locked down churches, but in a more robust way, our churches have been opening the last several weeks. And so I opened up uh, my home church and it's a big sanctuary, it holds seven thousand people. It's a big Baptist church, but we we open it up with these guidelines that we put forth by the state, and that sit every other row. I have a family sit together, but you you have to separate social distancing, wear a match uh, a mask, take temperatures when you come on, come in and so I was sitting there, Brian because I, I did the, the the opening prayer for the three services and i and I'm looking around saying, this is no different than an arena for a game. And you just multiply it to a stadium. And so there's no reason that we can't put in 25% of the fans in a stadium. You know, say the average stadium's you know, 75,000, 80,000. So you're somewhere 20, 25,000 people. Uh, you take their temperature. When you, they go through security, that's easy. You ask them to wear a mask. The computers can put out seating charts that are very easy to formulate. So that people with season tickets, for example, for football, if 25% of the crowd can go, that means each season ticket holder could go to two games. Baseball and basketball, not as much of a problem. In fact, some baseball stadiums, Brian, have already been practicing social distancing for years with 8,000 people in an empty stadium. But the point is you can do that. And then then when we end the game, instead of everyone leaving at once – and sitting in their cars on the parking lot, dismiss, as we did in church that day, by sections. So, you, you know, you close off an escalator or a ramp or an elevator at the top deck in one section of until course. you tell people it's open. And, and you just do these smart things, monitor people in the bathroom so, so you don't have everyone crowding at once. There's no reason, Brian, that people can't go to a game, whether it's 5,000 in a 20,000-seat arena for basketball or hockey or 25,000 in a stadium. And the last thing on that, right. you know, the experts and the doctors will say, well, but you can't be around thousands of people. Brian, when you go into a stadium, particularly if it's only a third or fourth full, if you go into a stadium, you're not likely to be around many more people, maybe a couple hundred people than you'd run into at Walmart or Costco or at the local grocery store. You know, you go in, you kind of keep your distance, uh, maybe stand six feet in line, get your hot dog, go sit in your seat, watch the game, you get up and leave. You're not going to be... You know, you're not going to be commingling with thousands. So we can do this. And I don't want Dr. Fauci to suddenly become the commissioner of the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball, and the NHL. It's just, you know, he's doing too much already in our in – our, well, I appreciate his well, medical me say, advice, we have, we, but yeah. he doesn't know anything about business.
2: But, Dan, the other thing is, you know, listen, that's his area, right? I mean – if you talk to a sports guy, even about news, the one's not like you, but they, they just think sports. I tell them sometimes, I would see my sports friends because I also was a sports guy for a while. I start yeah, telling them in politics, right, they I have remember. no idea who's even running for president. So that's fine. Right. So Dr. Fauci's doing his thing. But Randy Levine, president of the Yankees, heard Dr. Fauci on, then hopped on our radio show and said, wait a second, he's not the commissioner of baseball. We can do this. Right. And by the way, he's flip-flopping on a lot of his beliefs. It depends on who he talks to. So, we got to what yeah. we got to play a role in this. And by the way, everything you said takes work. Yeah. I got to walk into a stadium, I got to look around, I got to talk to experts, I got to come up with a code coding system, I got to put it on the side of the ticket, and then people have to be organized. So, it's easier. Let me ask you what's easier, Dan? Saying no yeah. football or walking into a stadium with experts and coaches and saying, "How do we do this?" The answer is the latter. How do we do this? We need people saying, "How do I put th- How do I open up that restaurant? How do I open up that stadium? Don't tell me we can't. And uh, that is not the American way.
9: Yeah, and it's not the way that business people think. It's not the the way that risk-takers and entrepreneurs think. And and there's another side of this. It's not only will they think of it, but the public will demand it. Restaurants, businesses, stadiums, whatever they are, people will go if they feel safe. So not only are businesses going to do it, so that they can get their businesses up and running and create revenues again. Uh, but they're going to do it. They also have to satisfy the customers. So th- there's that extra incentive. Anyone that opens up kind of halfway who doesn't do the work, as you said, they won't make it. But I have total confidence in in, uh, in, in Major League Sports. They have the money. They have the resources to do it. I actually think, right. Brian, the big – and football I feel good about because we've got a lot of time baseball and basketball if they want to get up in july they're short on time uh and they're going to have to you know work out compensation deals with their players and if their players say okay you know i'll sit it out or i won't but i but for football you know there's no reason we can't have a full robust football season and you put 20,000 fans in the, in the stands you know they 25,000 they make a lot of noise and, and it will give the sense of a real game. And, and I, you know, so I, there's just no reason not to do it. And I think we're, you know, every week exponentially we're getting better, except in New York and California. You know, Brian, the one thing that jumps out at me is you look at the most draconian lockdowns and, and rules and, and, and tiny tyrants, as Shelley Luther's uh, attorney called them, are Democrats. It's California. It's New York. It's New Jersey. It's Michigan. It's Illinois. The Democrats have no faith in the people. They have no faith in the business community. They think that government is the only answer. And you really see this in spades now, Brian. It's the Republican states and mayors and county judges who are saying, hey, I trust the people we are going to be safe and smart, but I trust the people who do this and I trust the business community, but not the Democrats. And this is what life gotcha. would be like if they defeated Trump. This is the kind of country I, we would have.
2: I, and, that, and that's just it. Uh, what Governor Whitmer's doing, uh, what Governor Wolf is doing. I think is inexcusable. And then to have Governor uh, Pritzker say that it's going to be a uh, Class A misdemeanor if you're caught violating any of your rules, open up your gym, or having a party, uh, that just totally out of control. And lastly, don't you want these kids playing sports again? The damage being done by these kids who aren't having a chance to compete? Come on, let's get them out there.
9: Yeah, you know, Brian, we got to get the, the kids out there to play. Uh, we have to get them back in school. You know, there's a, there's a little hidden world, Brian, that's that's the dark side of this. And we know that when children are not seen in their schools or out in public, um, they are subject to abuse. It's our school teachers. It's our coaches who recognize something may happen or is going on Absolutely. when they see these kids. And the longer we keep these kids locked away... Um, yeah. The more abuse, some of them are going to suffer. So we have to get the kids back. That's another thing. Fauci says, "Well, I don't know if we're going to have school now." You're now you're going to be the superintendent. I mean, he wants to be everything to everyone. And again, I don't. You know, I I respect the man, but I think uh, I just think he has uh, tried to interfere in too many areas where he should have stepped back and said, "Look, I'm a doctor. Why don't you have a businessman answer
2: that? I'm a exactly. doctor. Why don't you
9: let an educator answer that? I'm a doctor. Why don't you let the owner of the Yankees handle
2: that? You know what I mean?" I hear you. That's why you're on. <laughs> Governor, I agree hey, with you okay. 200%. <laughs> Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, thanks so much. Thank and thanks for carrying the show in Houston. Appreciate it. Hey, um, we, we love it. We're glad to have you on. Take- well, thank you. You guys are great. KSEV. Uh, meanwhile, when we come back, I'm going to open the phone see what you say about that. What you're experiencing in your area, and that is the dark side of not seeing kids. You wonder what's happening. Brian Kilmeade.
10: It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details.
1: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harvick
10: wins. NASCAR's return to action at Darlington
9: you guys awesome job kevin harvick emerges from his race car taking the booties off i have to imagine that this race today ranks right up there at the top of that list
5: yeah i just want to thank everybody from nascar and all the teams for um letting us do what we do
2: yeah congratulations to kevin harvick he out um he outraced alex bowman and kurt bush uh so he wins the first race back after a long 10-week hiatus they're back in action on wednesday on fox sports one no crowd was there to roar. Everyone wore masks, and there was no pre-race, and there was no test drives. I'm just so glad they're back. I just got an email saying, hey, Brian, before you give credit to NASCAR uh, for coming back with sports, she said, I'm not, uh, I get this letter from Cheryl and Edward Kruger. says, I am not downgrading NASCAR, what they're doing, but they're, quite, they're not the first to start up. We've been watching uh, PBR on CBS Sports, which is pro bull riding. So that is the fight sports. I stand corrected. Um, next James Wood is defending Donald Trump listen to this James Woods tweeted this out you know the, the famous actor it says James Woods a staunch supporter of Trump says he loves America the president loves America more than any other person president in his lifetime he also said Trump is a rough individual he's vain and sensitive and raw but he loves America I'll take him any day after any of those other bums <laughs> Trump tweeted in response I think this is a great compliment thank you James the whole vain and sensitive thing wasn't really a positive, but I guess the whole premise was, Brian kill me, Joe. Keep it here, everyone. There's nowhere else to go. Try to move your station. It just won't move. This is where America wants you to be.
10: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox
1: News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Ken Starr. He's very good at the law. He's going to unwind some of these new developments with the, uh, with the Michael Flynn case, which, by the way, I have some fundamental questions about. Brett Baer, the bottom of the hour, and then John Rich. He has opened up his restaurant, his bar, which is a fantastic place, the uh, Redneck Riviera, right on Broadway in Nashville. And he's going to talk about that, too, also being the creative genius he is in a time in which he can't perform. This guy lives to be in front of audiences. How do you deal with that as a performer? So many are dealing with that now, uh, which it, you just don't have a place to go. You got to cancel concerts, and and I'm not saying my heart goes out to a famous country music star or a, or a great comedian, but if you live a lifestyle that you're going to be making money, and you just project a little bit, and that falls off a truck, that means no venues, no revenue, no ticket sales. For now, six months, they've canceled. Most people have canceled all through the summer. So the Jones Beach Concert Series, the the, the theater near you, gone. You have a house that needs payments, and they're used to having that type of income. So I'm not saying they should be required poverty for them, but what is it like at that level? I will talk about that. The president doing something today is so important. He's meeting with restaurant owners uh, and uh, and workers to talk about what we need to open up restaurants again. What the kitchen has to look like. What the servers have to look like. And my goodness, it's such a long wait. The margins are so small. All these restaurants, many of these restaurants, are going out to business forever if they can't open real soon. I know in Florida and in other places, you're saying, Brian, what's the big deal? It's a big deal everywhere else because nobody's open. Literally nobody's open. There's curbside and there's delivery. But for the most part, people, a lot of people go out just to get out, not necessarily for the food to get out. Big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number
3: three. This pandemic has fully, finally torn back the curtain on the idea that so many of the folks in charge know what they're doing. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge.
4: He was an incompetent president. That's all I can say. Grossly incompetent.
2: Uh, can you say Barack Obama and Donald Trump don't get along? It dates back a long time, but especially from the Washington Correspondents' Dinner when he called out Trump and, um, uh, and Seth Meyers called out Trump and he looked at him, he said, you'll see, and he never owned up to it. But I know that President Trump, when he left early after those monologues, I know in the back of his mind, like, you know, maybe I'm going to do this. And he replaced him. Presidential clash. Trump and Obama go directly at each other. Who is most likely to win? number two
5: unlike the old days when you know we actually didn't have a 30 trillion dollar debt almost she thinks that she can just author this kind of christmas tree of whatever anybody wants it's disappointing but you know what the adults here will come in we'll take over in the senate yeah and we'll get something done ultimately
2: That is Adam Kinzinger, uh, a guy who still serves our country, Air Force Reserves, rescue package signed and delivered. But the Senate will not be picking it up from their outbox. As Republicans claim, it's all about the Democratic agenda. It's not about a rescue of anything. And I thoroughly agree.
6: Number one. We're going to have to open up the economy.
2: That doesn't mean
6: that we won't do it safely. And we've got to do everything we possibly can to get this economy open. And unlike some of my colleagues, I think the American people can do it.
2: Rescue. uh, Here we go. Uh, Race to recover. The state by state battle to reopen as more and more people uh, rise up against their local government's extreme restrictions. They have had it. I have had it. You have had it, I think, as we take the temperature of our economy. And shortly, I don't want to take too much time away from Ken Starr, so I'll get right to the economy. We have to get it open. Alex Azar, Health and Human Services Secretary, he be the one pulling us back and saying it's too dangerous. He is not. Cut to.
8: Is the U.S. reopening in a way that won't bring back a spike in new cases? Thanks to the president's historic response efforts here, we are in a position to be able to reopen. We are seeing that in areas
9: that are opening, uh, we're not seeing this spike in cases.
2: And in fact, uh, in Georgia, it has been it's not been much of an issue. Now, look, if you want to be negative, fine. It's flat. It's not going down. I'll take flat. I'll deal with flat. I'll be so knowledgeable about this virus. I'll know how to keep your friends and your family safe. And you still might get it. And guess, 99.6% chance, you'll beat it. But yet it hasn't stopped Governor, uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker for lashing out and really putting his hands around the neck Of the people of Illinois. And if these people who are trying to win favor with the Democratic Party only knew. Now, I know people are freaked out and some are nervous and some will be hesitant to go back to restaurants because all they hear is the negativity and the danger. But life is full of danger. Now that we got used to this pandemic, we see how Italy is coming back. Germany is standing up. Norway and Sweden are ready to go. Others, like Russia, are flat on their back. China's getting a mini resurgence. Japan's in a recession. South Korea's turnaround. Let's author our own success story. And let's begin by fighting it, not waiting for a vaccine, because we can't afford to wait. So when it comes down to, I think, tone-deaf leaders, it's the multimillionaire J.B. Pritzker, who sends his family down to Florida to play on their compound and then tells everyone in Illinois to stay at home. Cut three.
11: Businesses and individual professionals that are licensed, by state agencies will be held accountable
9: for breaching public health orders. Local law enforcement and the Illinois State
2: Police can and will take action. So if you open up your place against the order in which he wants your place opened up, you could face a Class A misdemeanor, a punishment that carries with a punishment up to a year in jail, and a $2,500 fine, really. I'm, I'm not talking about a guy that wants to hitchhike. I'm not talking about a guy that wants to carjack. I'm talking about somebody who wants to make a living responsibly. Governor Whitmer of Michigan, whose approval rating is high. I don't know how, because everyone I see in these protests that I watch, these people are outraged by her. Republicans are suing her. Cut for
8: I think the vast majority of people in our state get it, and they're doing the right things. For those who aren't, you know, we take this seriously. This is not a suggestion. These are not thoughts about how you can protect yourself. these This is the force of law, and we expect people to follow the law.
2: Really? So while you're sitting there telling people only two to a vote, Florida is now opening up, reopening the, they're going to be reopening the Keys on June 1st, opening up their restaurants, increasing capacity. They're actually trying to get stuff done because they don't want to put anyone at risk, but they know the risk of not doing anything else. So instead, you have people like that who are trying to do things. Now, not all Republicans seem to have the right uh, temper and tempo. One that gets it just visited the White House the other day. I never met him. Don't really know much about him. But Governor Jared Polis of Colorado, the mayor of Denver wasn't for this, but he's basically opening up, opening up and opening up. Cut 10.
8: I'm really confident that uh, it's a critical part of our society and schools need to function. They are going to function. It's also going to be somewhat of a hybrid environment, meaning there might be times during the year if there's an outbreak at a school that it has to convert to online for a period of weeks uh, until it's reasonably safe to return to school. But by and large, I think across our state and across our nation, kids are going to be able to return to school in the fall. It's just not going to look like any other school year.
2: Can you handle that? I can. That means you're in it, I'm in it with you, you're in it with me. Hey, there was a problem with the elementary school. Is it hooked to the junior high school? Oh, it isn't. So let's keep it isolated. Where is it? Well, it's in second and fourth grade. Is that a separate wing of the building? Oh, it is. Maybe we can stop it there, send the second and third graders home for two and a half weeks, make sure the teachers aren't testing positive for it, make sure the kid, we know who the kid was with, and then hey, the second and third graders are back two and a half weeks later. That means you're powering through. I'm telling you. No offense to people who are used to remote learning, but it is not working for almost any family and any kid that I'm talking to. You homeschoolers don't get appreciated enough. You have a curriculum, you have a format, you have a pattern. These kids aren't learning anything. I talked to teachers all weekend, and I talked to my daughters in 11th grade. She says, this is crazy. We're not really learning anything. They still have tests, but it's not happening. And I can't expect them to. I mean, I don't blame teachers. In fact, teachers are working four times as hard as they were because at all different times when parents come home, they're asking questions at 7 o'clock at night instead of 7 in the morning. Um, we'll talk about it, 1-866-408-7669. So we started this segment playing Barack Obama going after President Trump and Trump firing back. It is all about what the Obama administration was doing during the transition period and what they weren't doing in the fall when the Russians first started infiltrating the election process. Ken Starr is going to weigh in. Was the president overstating and say someone really should go to jail? Is that an overstatement? And with this unmasking, how do you know it's me to unmask? You're taping Kislyak, the Russian. How do you know who Kislyak's talking to? Why was everyone unmasking Flynn? How did they know Flynn was on the other end if he was truly masked?
1: Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
1: From his mouth to to your your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
5: There's no conspiracy if the
0: allegations are true, Michael Flynn admitted that he did what is alleged. An unfair disparaging of the intelligence community process. He
8: literally pleaded guilty
12: to lying to the FBI. The president has urged the prosecution at jailing of both President Barack Obama and his current opponent, Joe Biden.
2: So everyone thinks on the left that this whole Michael Flynn thing is a big distraction of the pandemic. They don't understand President Trump or what's been going on. Joining us now is Ken Starr. Uh, Ken Starr needs no introduction, uh, but you know Ken. He has served as the independent counsel investigating Bill Clinton and author of Contempt, a memoir of the Clinton investigation, which is fantastic. Uh, Ken, are you surprised that the Democrats' tactic is the president's looking to distract Mm -hmm. from the pandemic instead of, my (laughs) goodness, what's going on with the Flynn case? Maybe there's more here than we thought.
14: No, it's just the same old uh, drama uh, all over again. Uh, When you look, Brian, as, as you have, at the very fact that Attorney General Bill Barr, when serious questions were raised about the entire General Flynn investigation, he appointed a very respected prosecutor who had fairly recently been unanimously confirmed by the United States Senate, Uh, to take a fresh look at all the facts, including previously unknown facts, undisclosed facts, and so forth. So it's the classic fresh look. And, of course, Attorney General Barr should be applauded for doing the right thing, trying to get at the truth. But instead, uh, you get this kind of uh, false political uh, rhetoric. It's, It's a shame, but not surprising.
2: It isn't. Uh, So with Michael Flynn's situation, stunning news by that judge who decided to ask a retired judge to evaluate whether they should prosecute him. I don't get it. But looking back, when people who simplistically who don't get into it like we get into this say, well, Michael Flynn admitted to lying. What's the problem? How can you backtrack on that? He didn't really admit to lying, especially we don't know the details of his interview with those FBI agents. No one recorded it. We don't even know where the 302s are. No one can find it. The 302s are a summary of what he said. And then they looked at it, Ken, and they said, you did not lie about anything pertaining to this case that would be illegal. I mean, if you're not a lawyer and you're Michael Flynn and you say something that they say is not accurate, but it doesn't matter because it's not attributable to the case, that's, that's why this was being investigated.
14: That's exactly right. There were all kinds of issues and problems with that interview of General Flynn by the two FBI agents in the first place. We now know, Brian, the interview should never have taken place. The investigation, and let's just assume the investigation of the General Flynn that began in August of 2016, alleged ties to Russia and so forth. Let's just assume that, that was all legitimate. The FBI had closed it down and had recommended closure uh, back in on January 5th. This we know, and I'm sorry about all these dates, but it's the timeline's important. So the investigation is essentially over. It's dead, but it hasn't been formally closed. And then it's kept alive. So life is pumped back into it. And then Jim Comey And Andrew McCabe handled the situation in a very unprofessional, I think unethical fashion, namely not going through proper process and sending the agents over, not giving General Flynn warning that this really is an investigation as opposed to, hey, we're all friends. We're just trying to get to the bottom of a few things. Welcome to uh, your role as national security advisor and so forth. So it really was quite a setup. But even then, the agents did not think that General Flynn was lying. So the whole thing has become, it's tragic for General Flynn, but it's also a travesty to our justice system. It should not be defended. And yet it is. This is defending, in my judgment, uh, Brian, it's defending the indefensible.
2: So if you, do you, if you ever think about this, Ken? Do you believe that they believe, Brennan, Obama, Clapper, Yates. Do you believe that they actually thought that Donald Trump was sold out to Vladimir Putin, and they would just do it? They really thought this was the only thing they could do.
14: It's hard for me to imagine that they would think such a thing. So I I, I do. uh, as, As we say in fancy talk, it strains credulity. It causes you to say, "Really, you thought that this?" person whose life has been a very public life is somehow a Russian asset and in cahoots with Vladimir Putin. And you don't think that would have come out uh, through the intelligence community and so forth. And we now know the only reason that this was taken seriously was because of the Steele dossier which was, of course, famously and really infamously a campaign document. So I'm not going to get into motivations. It's just hard for me to understand, Brian, how anyone in his or her right mind right. could think that, the, that Donald Trump was somehow a Russian asset or otherwise colluding. And we
2: know he wasn't. Right. Uh, to be honest... Uh, they couldn't collude with anyone. I mean, they couldn't even... keep Corey Lewandowski couldn't hold on to that job. Man, every time they tried to coach the president of the United States when he was a candidate, he ended up firing the campaign manager until the last three months. So here's President. the president yesterday with uh, Maria Bartiroma. Cut 41.
4: This was all Obama. This was all Biden. These people were corrupt. If I were a Democrat instead of a Republican... Uh, I think everybody would have been in jail a long time ago. It is a disgrace what's happened. And hopefully a lot of people are going to have to pay.
2: Well, number one, do do you agree with this premise and do you think some people will pay?
14: It's likely that some are going to, may not be at the level of uh, the former president and so forth. But what we do know is that there was really uh, some terrible things. We know this from the Michael Horowitz IG reports. When we look at some of the things that were done, this is in connection with Carter Page. It's all part of this large mosaic of looking into was the campaign and campaign operatives, like Carter Page colluding with Russia, and we now know it was absolute nonsense. But they fudged, they turned corners, and they fi- and they misled, we know this, the FISA court. They failed to disclose some very important information, and there's even information that was doctored up uh, at fairly senior levels of the FBI. So the more we learn, the more we know that certainly within the FBI, at a minimum, within the FBI, there appears to have been such serious wrongdoing that John Durham may very well, we don't know, but he may very well determine and recommend to the attorney general that criminal charges be brought.
2: Yeah, a lot of people wondering what's going on, if we're ever going to get answers. Everywhere I talk to it doesn't seem like anyone ever pays for uh, the, the the misdeeds that we obviously see that has taken place. We'll see if it changes now. Ken Starr, thanks so much.
14: Hey, my pleasure, Brian.
2: Hey, and uh, Ken did a great job. He was uh, I was lucky enough to be hosted by Ken when Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, was out on paperback. Uh, excuse me, was out on hardback. Now it's out on paperback.
10: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of the Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: It's $3 trillion for one thing, every penny of which we would have to borrow. That's three zero 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 dollars. It's not going to pass the Senate, nor should it. My fellow Republicans in the Senate have tried to see things from the Speaker's point of view, but we can't get our heads that far up our rear ends. And I think uh, any fair-minded American would agree once they read the bill.
2: Only Senator Kennedy can say things like that and have it same, like a nice thing to say. Uh, Brett Baer joins us now, chief political anchor for Fox News and anchor of Special Reports, coming up tonight at 6 o'clock. Brett, uh, I don't believe that Senator Kennedy is looking forward to voting for Speaker Pelosi's bill.
11: <laughs> I don't think he'll... He'll really get a chance to. I think it's it's pretty much not going to even come up. Um, Yeah. Listen, Republicans are not going to touch any of that. And uh, there may be, you know, the start of a negotiation that this was just kind of a a marker and and they start the back and forth. But when I had Mitch McConnell on last week, um, he essentially said, we're going to wait a little bit before that process
14: starts.
2: Right. Uh, I think that would be important. Right now, it seems to be a couple of battles uh, to opening up America or shutting down America. And President Trump and President Obama, uh, it looks like President Obama, in order to inspire graduates, there would be a good idea to hit uh, Donald Trump's uh, plan when it comes to the, handling the pandemic, which is an interesting take. I wasn't really expecting that. Um, were you? You know, once
11: he started speaking out in that that leaked conversation to three thousand former Obama administration um, officials or, or folks who worked in the administration, once that happened and there were a number of things he weighed in on, if you remember, in that conference call, I figured this was the beginning of uh, President Obama's effort to speak out, um, maybe not by name, but definite inference. Um, a number of times. And I, whether that is about thinking that Biden needs the help, which he may, or whether it's about protecting his legacy from all these stories of what happened during the administration, uh, we'll have to see. I mean, there are other shoes to, to drop from all of that.
2: Uh, there is absolutely true. Here it is, uh, Barack Obama, yesterday, cut 36.
3: More than anything, this pandemic has fully, finally torn back the curtain on the idea that So many of the folks in charge know what they're doing. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. You're going to have to grow up faster than some generations. This pandemic has shaken up the status quo and laid bare a lot of our country's deep-seated problems.
2: Okay, uh, nice shot. And then Trump comes back, takes a shot back again. I get the sense that Barack Obama is going to basically be running for president. And I think if this was a more normal time, they'd probably be appearing together... All over the place. Well, it's interesting to see if they're going to try to get Joe Biden out this week. We know the president has been really pushing hard to open up the country. Today, he's participating in a roundtable of restaurant executives. On Wednesday, he's going to meet with the governor of Arkansas. They stay open. Kansas uh, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly. She's been a little bit slow, according to some. And Governor Ron DeSantis is back again uh, talking about what he needs. And the president's going to go out on the road to Michigan on Thursday. I'm wondering if Governor Whitmer, who seems to be doing things very unpopular, and Governor Wolf to seem in Pennsylvania, if they are helping or hurting their party in their state, their approval ratings say they're high. What do you think?
11: Well, I think, you know, we'll see over the next few weeks. I mean, when you stretch these things out, uh, the anger builds and it doesn't build along partisan lines. Uh, This is not a partisan thing. When your business is shut down, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Um, You're anxious to get back to work. So I think it's a balance. The more time goes on and the more uh, they see other states that are opening, they get lambasted for opening, like Florida and Georgia, where the numbers are decreasing, not increasing. Um, I think that it's going to be a tough sell for some of those governors to say, you know, we need to remain closed.
2: Yeah, and uh, in Florida, they seem to be on the right path. They have opened up the keys on June 1st. Miami seems to be getting a little bit of freedom. So I think that's a positive. What I was shocked by one thing that happened yesterday uh, because it seemed calculated. Didn't seem like it came out of left field and thought, got to take it back. And that was Peter Navarro coming out and blaming the CDC for not having those tests ready. And they were, but they let they they let us down. They were behind. I thought that was very interesting because they kind of got. I'm sure he got permission to say something like that. I'm not too sure. This is the time to take on the CDC. But what's your take on that?
11: Well, I mean, if you look at the early days, the CDC was uh, kind of all over the place, and um, you know there was a, a false start there with the tests. Um, Now, where that blame goes specifically inside the organization and why, you know, what happened happened, I think, has yet to be really detailed. Uh, But clearly they felt like they should throw up uh, some red flare about the early days. And that's that's one of them. Now, at the same time he was saying that Secretary Azar was saying, no, the CDC was dealing with a novel virus and doing the best they could.
2: Yeah. So it was in total anarchy. The story in the Washington Post today, it says President Trump has basically let other people lead. He's let the governors and mayors lead. Uh, He has Treasury leading in terms of what's going to come in terms of a rescue package. Uh, He's letting congressional uh, congressional uh, leaders uh, like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy talk about what's going to be the next one to come through. And as if it's negative. My sense is that's Trump doing exactly the opposite of what everyone would criticize him for doing, taking total control, taking total credit, micro organizing all this. I actually think it's a wise move to move back and very and and something that's very true to the Republican character. Let yeah. people locally who know their cities best make those decisions. I think it shows leadership. And I'm wondering if the Washington uh, the, I'm reading the Washington Post story and I'm waiting for the the shot. But by definition, the way they did it, I think I think Trump should take this as a compliment. Do you? Well,
11: right. I mean, it's being portrayed as that he's, uh, you know, punting and he's it's a total lack of leadership. But that when you make those decisions, it is leadership of the sort that you are figuring out how you are going to do all of this you know, the, you're right that the media and the criticism would have been that he's a dictator had, uh, you know, he'd been micromanaging on all fronts uh, on the other side. And so, listen, that's part of being president is that you're going to take the heat. This president just pushes back unlike any other has.
2: Right. Brett. Who do you have on tonight?
11: Uh, Tonight, I've got Britt Hume um, in the Monday slot, and then I've got uh, Chris Starwalt, Mara Lyson, and Matthew Continetti on the panel, so we should have uh, plenty to chew on over the weekend and uh, today. And then, you know, this IG story is is interesting, the State Department and um, what was was happening there, the fact that he was fired. Interestingly enough, this IG was also, you know, uh, under the uh, target of Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State. Um, her people said uh, that he was trying to prevent her presidential ambitions. Uh, so wow, it'll be an interesting story, and you, it's good to have perspective to look back.
2: Fired him on a Friday, uh, Friday night, and they said that one of the things he was looking into is Mike Pompeo using uh, some of his... Uh, some of his staff to walk his dog and get his dry cleaning, I guess. Um, and there was so. another
11: part of it about selling selling arms to the Saudis that's just kind of coming out. So we're going to look into that story and where it goes.
2: All right, go get him, Brett. We'll watch you tonight at 6. Thanks so much. We'll see you. All right. So, by the way, you know I have uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers coming out, right, on paperback. Well, Talk Shop Live, uh, you have to do a lot of things remote, and it's really cool. I did this run-through on Friday it's a virtual live event tonight. It's on Talk Shop Live. I got to download the app. Viewers can watch and purchase books from any platform they are watching, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on the Talk Shop Live website. They can sign up, you know, go to the app store and get it, or you just do it from whatever venue you want. Talk Shop Live channel in order get that Talk Shop Live channel in order to comment during the live show or ask me any question you want. Recording will be available online after it's done. And I'll be talking about what's new about Sam, uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. Uh, with the epilogue, I talk about his interaction with Lincoln and how close they got to keeping Texas out of the Confederacy in the Civil War. Go to talk shop live. Just click on me and uh, you'll get to my event tonight at 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock, the 18th, tonight. So I hope to see everybody there. Back in a moment with John Rich.
1: This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Hope you're watching the show. You can watch on Fox Nation at any time. You could also listen to the show on radio.com or go to Spotify. Go to uh, briankilmeade.com and get the podcast. Uh, joining me now is uh, one of our favorite all-time guests, John Rich. Country music star, but doesn't stop there. He's an entrepreneur by trade. And if you want proof of it, if you can just see his interview, his brand-new season of uh, "In The Pursuit with John Rich is now available on Fox Nation. John Rich, welcome back from Tennessee. It's
7: good to be with the sexiest man on radio, Brian. How are you doing?
2: Wow, does Rush Limbaugh know this? I mean, <laughs> that you have voted me the sexiest? That's incredible. Don't tell him I said that. All right. All right, Uh, John, you got so much to talk about. But first things first, how are you doing as a creative guy who loves people? uh, How are you dealing with the fact that they're saying don't go on stage and don't talk to other people outside your family? How are you dealing (laughs) with this?
7: Uh, It's it's a little difficult, to be honest with you. They're telling us that uh, the uh, concert industry don't expect any concerts in 2020. And really don't expect meaningful amounts of concert work till summer of 21. That's the inside word from the touring industry. Yeah, now that could change, I guess, with a vaccine or or medical breakthroughs. But as of today, that's what it looks like.
2: So, I mean, what about smaller venues where you control the size of the crowd and you maybe broadcast uh, that that event? you know, almost, you know,
7: yeah, I mean, I I think we're going to be having to get creative, you know, people are going to want to be entertained. I mean, that that's quite an outlet for Americans is to see a concert, you know, to to forget about what's going on in their life for an hour and a half and sing their favorite songs. You know, we're going to, no doubt scenarios are going to come up that are different ways to entertain our crowds. But right now, uh, it's kind of a scramble um, of ideas. and, And really, you know, I tell people all the time, Brian, it's not just big and rich like two guys. It's bus drivers, truck drivers, light guys, sound guys, band, caterers. It's promoters. It's all the people that work at a festival. It could be hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. And when you extrapolate that, of a whole year of touring it is millions of people's jobs it's a really big deal
2: absolutely so i went i was lucky enough to be uh i was with you at the redneck riviera on broadway in in nashville uh you've been closed for two months now and you're ready to reopen or actually you reopened may 11th
7: i did we reopened may 11th so we have a republican governor who set out guidelines and then we have a democrat mayor of nashville and between the two of those, there was a conglomerate of rules, regulations, and phases that they were laying out. And so we made sure we were prepared to follow it and do it just like they were asking. And so we opened our doors May 11th, and we've actually had customers uh, coming in seven days a week and doing the distancing thing. And, and, you know, I thought we'd probably have customers that would, you know, break the rules or not want to do what we were asking them. But so far, nobody has bucked any of the rules. They just want to be able to go sit down, have a Redneck Riviera whiskey and Coke and a barbecue sandwich and just kind of get back to some semblance of normality. So it's a good thing to see personal responsibility on a full display.
2: Where are the people
7: wearing masks? So uh, you're not required to wear a mask by the state of Tennessee or by the city of Nashville, but we encourage them to wear masks. And if they come and don't have a mask, and want one we have masks and we will we will give them a mask of course all of our employees are wearing masks and uh temperature checks and everything else
2: gotcha so john uh you you talked about the idea of the pursuit in the series it's called the pursuit with john rich available now on fox nation um we uh we have a couple here some cuts here uh first off what can you tell us about the new season and first tell for everyone who doesn't know the focus of the series
7: Well, it's based on a simple fact, and that fact is our country doesn't guarantee us happiness. It guarantees us the right to pursue happiness. There's a big difference in those two things. And so I focus on Americans that have exhausted their potential, have chased the American dream, whether they be veterans, inventors, actors, athletes, singers, you name it, all kinds of people. I don't care if they're liberal, conservative or somewhere in the middle. It's not about that. It's more about the right to pursue happiness and what they've done with it. We're, our, our country is the only country in the history of the world, Brian, that actually gives us a right to pursue happiness, and it's our job to take advantage of it.
2: Larry Gatlin's on this series, T.J. Shepard, Robert Hergevack, um and let's hear a little bit from all three.
7: Larry Gatlin, how has the right to pursue happiness changed your life? A lot of people before America and that great experiment that Thomas Jefferson and those people put, before that, people didn't have the right to pursue happiness. They pursued deer and rabbits. Survival. And eating. They pursued survival. So I am happy. But the pursuit of it, as we're talking about, that pursuit is to stand up there with my brothers and, ah, thank God, I smoke cigars. We're going to have one here in a minute.
2: So that's his idea. John.
7: <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it, it it's custom made for every American, no matter who you are, or what you are. You know, the lady down in Texas uh, with the salon, her pursuit of happiness is she wanted to own a salon, wanted to have her own business. And she did that. And, you know, thanks to an overreaching judge, they shut her down. But guess what? The pursuit of happiness won out in the end and she was able to turn it back on. I mean, we're the only country in the world that has that. Billions of human beings around the world will never have the right to pursue happiness, even though they have the spirit, the intellect, the passion to do great things. They're not allowed to. But we are as Americans, and that's what this show is all about to pursue.
2: Right. And you got to get the uh, Fox Nation app out there uh, this month at 99 cents uh, for the first month anyway. So tell us about uh, Robert Herkovac.
7: So Robert Herjavec, uh from Shark Tank, if you ever watch that show, he's the guy that sits on the end with the bright blue eyes, uh, you know, he, his dad was locked in a Yugoslavian communist prison in Yugoslavia back in the day, escaped the prison in the middle of the night, came and grabbed Robert and his mother, uh, paid a guy money to get on a boat and came across the Atlantic, tried to get into the United States, wound up going into Canada, Robert grew up like that, and the second he had a chance to open a business in America, he did and has been a runaway success. Robert is one of the most patriotic people I've ever met, and what a story. Sounds like something you'd see in a movie, but it actually happened.
2: Right, and we watch him all the time, and we watch him there with Mark Cuban and company on Shark Tank, which is, if you don't see it live, you can watch it on uh, CNBC right after, but most importantly, watch John. So real quick, John, uh, 10 seconds. You like this more than being interviewed? Would you rather do the interviews? (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, uh, I
7: like both sides of it. I, I, I do love asking people questions that I think everybody would probably like to know about that person and then getting these incredible answers. It's been been an awesome experience doing this show, The Pursuit, Fox Nation.
2: Country music star John Rich. Fox Nation, go do it. It's the Pursuit with John Rich. Thanks, John. It was great to talk to you. Thanks, Brian.